What sort of things do you doubt? So here are some things that I doubt. And some of them I think are for good reason, uh, but you, you might uh, differ from me. Uh, have we got any Dons fans in the room here? Anyone? Yes, there's a few brave people who have put their hands up. Okay, so I doubt that in my lifetime that I will see Aberdeen win the league again. Richard's got a grin on his face, he's like, I like you on Rangers. Oh my mother. <laughs> <laughs> You're a Rangers fan, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. But anyways, yeah, I, I don't think I'm not too sure I call myself a fan or a supporter of Aberdeen, but I follow their results. And I think it was 1985 that they last won, uh, and so I was two years old at the time, so you can probably do the math for my age. But I'm just not sure I'll see that again. I'll just have to watch it back in old VHS tapes of what they did. Another thing that I doubt is the kind of meat that I am eating when I go to McDonald's and have a burger. <laughs> On top of that, this might even be worse, it's the type of meat that might be in a sausage roll of rice. Uh, I'll say that, I doubt it. I will go and have another one happily again, because they taste amazing, don't they? So even though we doubt it, we'll probably still keep doing it. And the last one I'll share with you is that I doubt, and I very much doubt this, that I will ever have a pet tarantula. Anyone, is anyone here, would, would anyone here admit they'd be like, yeah, I'd be okay with having a petrol angela? Anyone? Steve? Steve? That <laughs> 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 was very, for those who didn't see Steve's hand went like that, and Ness's hand went like, no, you won't have a petrol angela. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll get one. Sorry, mate, I'm not coming now. I found a guy on my own to carry a petrol angela, I read it for like two hours, I thought that's it. <laughs> if you get one, that's no. That's no. Uh, my kids, they, they like, uh, so I've got a nine year old and a seven year old, and kids go through different phases of playing games, and so uh, my two like playing the game Would You Rather? Uh, and, uh, and so it's normally like, is your favourite colour blue or red or something like that? And last week they asked me the question of, would you rather have a pet tarantula or a pet snake? At that point, I'm just thinking, the only answer here is, come Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having either of those in my house at all. Uh, for those of you who know me, I, I don't do that well with spiders. I'm better than Martin, but anyone is better than Martin when it comes to spiders. So I can be in the same room as a spider, as long as someone will remove it, or, to my shame, someone kills it pretty quickly. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I'm really sorry. If you're, if you're for the spiders, I'm really sorry. I just maybe offended you there, so. There are some things that I doubt in there. And I thank you to Elaine for picking up the story from where we left off last week where we reflected on Jesus, who's risen gloriously from the grave. And in our passage today, we see that Jesus is now beginning to appear before people. And he's quite literally appearing before them in his resurrected body. Jesus appears in rooms without opening doors and declares of his resurrection and of what his followers are to do to go out and proclaim the name of Jesus and to be forgiven of one another. The major theme that we have in our passage today is this one of doubt. So it wasn't completely random my introduction there. We're looking into doubt. Thomas, also known as Didymus, you can maybe see why they changed his name. Um, so Didymus means the twin, and so he proclaims, you can see there in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas wasn't in the room the first time Jesus appeared to the disciples, and the words 
of his brothers there was insufficient for him. He needed more to believe. Thomas, who went on to earn the nickname Titan Thomas, and I'll say a bit more about that later on, because I just don't, I think it's a little harsh, that he could not believe that Jesus had risen from the grave. So maybe doubt is something that you are well acquainted with, or maybe it's something that you've never struggled with, or maybe it's something that you are struggling with right now. And I think there is a warning here that for all of us, we could find ourselves in a season of doubt. This is not the first time we've come across Thomas as we've gone through the Gospel of John. We find him first of all in chapter 11 where he says that he is prepared to die as a follower of Jesus. That is not someone who is lacking commitment. We find him a few chapters later in chapter 14 asking Jesus where he was going. It's the, the way, the truth, and the life passage. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to prepare a place for his followers. And what we see with Thomas was not someone who was willing to sit there quietly in his diet. Sorry, I've got a fly or something like buzzing around here. If I'm flapping my face, it's because of the fly. But in John 14, we find that Thomas was willing to ask questions. No one else asked the question of Jesus where you're calling Thomas was willing to ask a question. Thomas had spent three years with Jesus as a disciple. Three years of watching, observing, chatting with, being taught. Three years of seeing the power of God on display. In three years of even where him and the other disciples were granted power and authority to conduct miracles. But he still doubted. And doubt is not something that is new. In Genesis 3, we find the serpent sowing seeds of doubt to Adam and Eve. And that led them to sin. Throughout the Exodus, and throughout the wilderness years of Israel, the Israelites, they constantly doubted the goodness of God. They doubted his power. They doubted his ability to provide. They doubted what he was doing with them. Doubt is something that we see time and time again in Scripture, and it's probably something, and it is something that we see time and time again still today. So maybe for you, as you're sitting here, you maybe had some of these thoughts, or maybe you're thinking them today. Is this all actually true? Or maybe, is there someone really there listening to my prayers? Or is this just pointless? Is the Word of God really true? Maybe we doubt some of the words that Charlie just spoke a few minutes ago. He spoke of how Jesus knows you and loves you. Maybe that's something that you doubt. Maybe you doubt that he's really powerful enough to forgive you of your sins. Maybe you doubt that you're a child of God. Or like Thomas, maybe your question is, did he really rise from the dead? Whenever we speak on doubt in the church, this is a passage that we turn to time and time again. And I see why. There are some things about God that are hard to understand and to get our heads around. But I think the central one, the big one that we need to get our heads around is this one. Do we believe that Jesus rose from the grave? I spent some time with someone a number of years back, uh, and they were really struggling with the question of how can Jesus be fully God and fully man at the same time? And I remember speaking uh, with Dan and, and Matthew about this at the same time, and I Dan's responses has always come back to me, and his was just like, so I've got so many questions. If I believe that Jesus rose from the grave, the rest comes. And I like that. And so if you've got questions about Jesus rising from the grave, uh, I, I'm not going to go into all the evidence of that today, and so about 
uh, a year or so ago, in fact, it was a year past Easter, uh, I, I spoke on that and the evidence that there is for the resurrection. And so if you've got questions about that, it's probably on our YouTube channel. And so please go and check that out because there's evidence for it. There's overwhelming evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. So please do go and check it out. Doubt is something that is not the absence of faith. It's faith laden with the weights of unbelief, which can threaten to sink us. It's a wavering. It's a hesitancy. It's a lacking of confidence. So three times in the passage that we read together, we, we hear about the word peace. I think when we have doubt in our minds, it feels like an absence of that peace. James writes of the dangers of sitting in doubt, and he says in James 1, and this is from verse 5, he says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. But that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. If you've ever been in a place of doubt, you'll know that it can feel disorientating. We can feel like we're in two minds, maybe serving two masters and getting driven and thrown around in the storm of our questions that seem to especially nag us at night. The firm footing that we once felt that we had in Christ feels like we're beginning to slip off the edge. Sometimes doubts, I think, impact our actions before we even fully acknowledge what's going on in our minds. I've kind of thought about this passage for a while and kind of asked the question about why wasn't Thomas there with the rest of them the first time around? And we don't know the answer to that. We don't know. We're not given any clues into that. But is there something in that? Before we acknowledge doubt, maybe it impacts our actions. Maybe doubt begins to impact our prayer life, how big our prayers are, how regular our times of prayers are with God. It impacts the time we spend with Him, it impacts the time we spend with one another as a church family. Maybe it impacts your giving, maybe it impacts the exuberance of your praise, the vulnerability that you know that you should share with others. If we're in doubt, does it impact the vibrancy of our evangelism? I think doubt, it can begin to impact our actions before we know what is going on in our minds. And if we're not careful, it begins to impact the parts of what we really withhold from God. Doubt will look to isolate us. Doubt will look to take us away from Jesus, away from the community of faith. And there the devil desires that small thoughts will grow and grow. Often I think our doubts fester in our minds because we feel too embarrassed to ask questions. We don't want to lose face in front of others. Maybe even if we've been journeying with Jesus for 30 to 40 years or more so, to be honest and say, I don't understand this, I'm struggling with this, and feel a difficult thing to do. And so because of embarrassment, maybe because we feel shame because of it, we allow those questions to fester away in our lives. But to sit in silence, to sit in doubt, I think is to not realize what is at stake here. I think we probably all know people who have walked away from their faith in Jesus. There's probably very few people in this room who don't know anyone. I think for the people that I know that have sadly done it, as I look back, 
I think there was probably a question of doubt that came into their minds. And because they didn't tackle it, because they allowed themselves to be isolated in it, they didn't push into it, they didn't ask the questions that they needed to ask, and so they sadly steered steadily away from God. Therefore, it's important that we don't sit in doubt, that we are proactive in how we tackle it. So before we look at the three things for us to do, if we have those questions of doubt, but before we look into that, I want to look into what is Jesus' response to us when we doubt. And so we see Thomas, and we're going to look at two other uh, passages of Scripture. And before we get to that, just quickly, in the book of Jude, and so the book of Jude, Donald looks at Paul's teachers, but in there there's a line where he briefly speaks of doubt and his encouragement to the church. And his encouragement is, is for us to have mercy on those who doubt. So not to look down on, not to bring shame, not to bring embarrassment, but to have mercy. The way that we have been shown mercy by God. We should show mercy to others who have questions. And so in Matthew 11, we find the story of, uh, or a bit of the story of John the Baptist. And so John is currently, in Matthew 11, he is in prison. He's been imprisoned by Herod. And so remember, this is John the Baptist, He's called John the Baptist for the reason this is the one who baptized Jesus. But he is a question of doubt. So in Matthew 11, he says, so he sends a message to Jesus through his followers. And his question is, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So I think it's a reminder that we find John the Baptist here, he's in prison. Things are not going well. He is in a very difficult place. And I think we have to remind ourselves that sometimes when life is not going the way that we would like it to go, it does not mean that he has abandoned us. It does not mean that he has forsaken us. I think uh, Colin shared at the start that God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And we have to hold on to that, especially at times when life is difficult and where we may have questions and where we may have doubts. And what is Jesus' response to John? It's not one of frustration, it's not one of anger of, hey, you're the guy who baptized me, you of all people should know who I am. That's not Jesus' response. I see gentleness. It's what we see Jesus doing. His response is that he quotes from Isaiah 35. And he says, these are the prophecies of who I am. And a few uh, verses later, this is what Jesus speaks of John. He says, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. Jesus doesn't hold a grudge. It's not just like, oh, I know you've got doubts. I know you've got questions, but you struggles. But I am gentle with you. I'm not going to take this out. A few chapters later in Matthew 14, we find the disciples caught in a storm. They're out in a boat in the middle of the night, and the wind is blowing. So Jesus comes to them walking on the water, and the disciples at the sight are described as being afraid. So Peter, he gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water. But fear grips him and he begins to sink. So what is the response we see from Jesus? It says Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. He says, oh you of little faith, why did you doubt? There's something amazing in that picture. How Jesus immediately grabs him. And then he holds him. I'm really just thought, picture in your mind what that looks like. Jesus and Peter 
in the sea, surrounded by the waves, and just Jesus embracing them. It's not like just dragging them by the hand back. The way that we might think it, Jesus holds him and takes him back safely into the boat. And there, things calm down. I see no anger in Jesus. I see no longing to punish Peter for his doubt. But I see care. I see gentleness as he holds him. And then he displays his power for Peter and for the rest of the disciples as he calms the storm. <coughs> this takes us back into John 20 and how Jesus responds to Thomas's doubts. Now, we see something different here. The immediacy that we saw with Peter, that is different. In verse 26, it says that it was eight days after Thomas revealed his doubts that Jesus comes back to him. Eight days. Eight days feels like a long time. Why Jesus waited that long, we do not know, but we do trust that Jesus' timing is perfect. We do trust that those eight days were not wasted. Those were not eight days when Jesus slumbered or looked to punish. Was it eight days where Jesus sulked or one of his friends seemed to doubt that he'd risen from the grave? I trust that God was at work in Tom's life in those eight days. How often do we learn so much in waiting? And waiting is a time that we have as a church as well. And so it's been a year and a half of, uh, since Harley moved on and we're still in a period of waiting for, for God to show who will be the next pastor of this church. But this year and a half is not wasted. But these eight days with Thomas were not wasted. They are not wasted for us as well. Doubt doesn't just torment, but if we allow it, it can teach. Now what was Jesus teaching Thomas in that time? What was being revealed to Thomas in his life in that waiting, we do not know. It is not revealed to us. But I think we can all probably think of times when we have had waiting. What has God taught you in waiting? God doesn't always move at the speed we'd like him to, but God always moves at the speed that we need him to. In verse 26, Jesus comes into the room where Thomas is with the rest of the disciples. Jesus turns to Thomas and he knows what he's doing. He knows what's been on his mind. And Jesus, he doesn't beat around the bush. But he addresses it and he offers for Thomas to come and to touch his scars. Thomas, despite saying it is earlier that he needed to touch the scars, it doesn't appear that he does so. But in seeing Jesus, See how Jesus responds to his doubts. He cries out with my Lord and my God. So it's a phrase of unequivocal belief in who Jesus is, of God Almighty and the Master of his life. So it's three examples of what we see Jesus responding to doubt. And so if you are sitting in a place of doubt, if you've got questions, if you've got struggles, know the gentleness of Jesus. Know how he came and responded to each of those in a very different way. And he will come and he will speak to you. But what are three things that we can do if we are in that place of doubting? And so I've got three C's for you. And so I've got confession, uh, I've got uh, communion, what's communion, relationship, and community. So let's dig into those. First of all, confession. Be honest with God about your struggle. 
Don't lie to yourself about your identity. Doubting Thomas, I think, gets a bad rap, and uh, as I've sat in this passage, I really don't like the nickname that he has got. I think I prefer that he was called Honest Thomas, because at least he was honest. He was vulnerable enough to, to voice his struggle, and I think if I'm being honest, if I'm being in issues, I think I might have said something similar. If I had seen Jesus die on the cross, if I'd seen him, he was absolutely beaten before that, and then hung on the cross with those nails going through his hands and his feet, a spear in the side, you see him buried in the grave, and someone comes and tells you that he is alive. I can understand. And I think we should have that humility, and I think we should have that gentleness with Thomas. So when Jesus came into the room, he already knew what Thomas was struggling with, and he knows what you might be struggling with. He knows her thoughts. So don't hide them from yourself and don't hide them from God. Jesus didn't come into the, the room and all of a sudden, oh, wow, Thomas is doubting here. That's new information to me. That's not what we see in Jesus. Admit your struggle as you acknowledge his thanks that even in that moment of doubt, that God's love for you doesn't change. It's constant, it's steadfast. And his love for you is based on his faithfulness, not on our faithfulness. As we admit our doubts, so we also need to admit that at the root of the doubt is maybe some distrust of God. We also must admit that we are putting ourselves, our abilities, our wisdom and knowledge alongside that of God's, or maybe we're bringing God down to our level. We think that we know better. I quote uh, Isaiah 55 quite a lot now, and I think it's a really important passage. If you are struggling with questions, here's what it says in Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We need to humbly come before him and confess and acknowledge that we have limitations. Acknowledge that you have been created by him who is perfect in every single way and Acknowledge that our ability to reason, to understand and comprehend the way that God does, it's just not possible. And by his grace, he grants us gifts of discernment. He grants us gifts of, of wisdom and faith. But he is altogether different from us. So as we confess, we come with repentance in our hearts. So we come with confession with who he is. The second thing I said is communion. This life is all about relationship, all about relationship with God. It's not about just getting as much head knowledge about Him as possible. It's about going deeper with Him. And we spend some time together um, having bread and juice together. And we do that because of relationship. We do that to reflect on what God has done to bring that relationship, that amazing gift of where we call upon Him as our Father and He calls us His children. 
It's about relationship. It's about that relationship that comes because of salvation, because of what Jesus has done on the cross. And Charlie spoke of how that sin would keep us apart from him before we couldn't have that relationship. But because of Jesus, and because of what he has done, because he has defeated sin, because he has defeated the grave, he's defeated death, we can have this relationship with him. His life is about a relationship. Now, if I was ever unsure if my wife Rachel loved me, what would I do? Would I decide to spend less time with Rachel? Would I decide I want to spend more time with myself? Uh, would I want to spend some more time with others? Or should I go and spend more time with Rachel? Spending less time isn't going to answer any of the questions or deal with any of the doubts. If you have questions, if you have doubts, don't run from God. Run to God. Seek Him out. As John the Baptist is, ask questions of Him. He is a God who loves to listen to us, and He is a God who speaks to us. Jesus in Matthew 7 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. Ask Him your questions. Spend time with him in prayer. Spend time with him in his word. His word that is living and active. His word that reveals truth. His word that reveals who he is. Time and again, um, I've come back to what's the point on John Whitney's gospel account. And we have it in 31 here. It says, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Ask Ask for revelation. Ask for discernment. Ask for perseverance during the season where you have questions. Ask for steadfastness in this moment of trial. Ask for the Holy Spirit to help. You do not have to do this alone, and you do not go through this moment of doubt or struggle alone. But we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the one who comes and leads and guides and counsels us. Open your heart further to his word. And ask for faith. Faith is a gift. Ephesians 2 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Take questions. Ask for faith. As you spend time with them crying out, there's a, there's a father in Mark 9 whose son needs healed, and he cries out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. Don't be satisfied with doubts or simply living in this place with weighty and burdensome questions. Ask for faith. Long for intimacy with Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed upon him and not upon anything else. I had a little bit of a, a daft picture of this came to my mind yesterday. Um, was it, did anyone go to the F show yesterday by any chance? Uh, so, so a few folks went. So I went with, with, with Rory later on in the afternoon. By the way, it's a little tip. If you go later in the afternoon, you don't have to pay the admission fee. And I just found that out. Because there was no one there. So I just walked straight in. So maybe don't broadcast that one too far. I don't think the organizers should be too happy about the Community Church broadcasting that one. <laughs> anyways, myself and Rory went in at the end of the day. And Rory was keen to go on quite a lot of like the kids' stuff. And so there was a lot of things he could do on his own. So he went on the trampolines thing. And he wanted his big inflatable slides. Did something else, I can't remember, but there was one thing he couldn't do on, on his own, and it was the, kind of like the waltzers thing. 
it wasn't. It's this thing that's continually just spinning round and round. Uh, and Rory loves the waltzers. He went to Cadona's in April for a birthday party and he went on the waltzers eight times in a row. This boy has got a stomach that is made of concrete. <laughs> so anyways, uh, he was like, I really want to go on this. I was like, that's fine, I'll go with you, I'll go with you. So we get on to this day. And I know I don't have a stomach for this. If I go on a kid's roundabout, I have to go like this the whole time for this. If not, I just know it's not going to be good. So anyways, we go on this thing and it starts spinning trying to look around a little bit just to see what's happening and I'm just like oh no this is not good I'm, I'm beginning to feel pain. it's not even moving fast at that point it's really fast anyways it's moving round and round and round and so I'm just like oh man I can't do this and so what I did is, so I had my, my arm around Rory and so I just looked at Rory the whole time and I just spoke, spoke to Rory the whole time and when I did that I felt okay I was just concentrating on Rory and I was speaking to him, and he was speaking to me, and we were having a conversation. It was kind of weird to have a conversation at that time, but we were. And then I felt okay about it, so I decided, I, I can look around, I can look around now. I'll be okay, I'll be okay. So I instantly looked up, and boy, that was a mistake, people. That was a mistake. Instantly, the dizziness came back, and my stomach was feeling like it was churning. And so I know I can't do this. So I just, Rory, you need to concentrate on Rory. You need to think of Rory. You need to spend time with Rory. You need to speak to him the whole time. No where I'm going with this. Communion with God is what we need in this world. This world, and we were praying about this upstairs beforehand, it is looking to disorientate us. It is looking to place questions and doubts in our minds. And so what do we need to do? We need to keep our eyes on Christ. And just as when I focused on Rory, when I spoke to Rory, when I felt good actually, I felt okay. When I lifted my eyes away from Rory, man, I was in trouble. Questions and your doubts. Communion with God. You focus on that relationship with God. Uh, Matt Redman released a song 20 years ago called When My Heart Runs Dry. It, it wasn't one of those that, that went that big, but it's one that stayed with me. And the chorus reads this way it says, When my heart runs dry and there's no song to sing, no holy melody, no words of love within, I recall the heights from which this fragile heart slips. And I'll remember you, and I will turn back and do the things I used to do for the love of you. When doubts creep in, don't forget the things that you used to do. The things that we were taught in Sunday school, those foundational principles, still count when we're 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. We don't grow out of those things. We teach them for a reason because they're meant to be integral for the rest of our lives. Do the things that brought life to your relationship with God. Remember them, turn back and do the things you used to do. When doubts creep into your minds, focus on the things that you do know about God. There might be one question that you're doubting when you know so much more of Him. Don't let that one question of doubt spoil the rest. And lastly, community. Sadly, not unusual to hear people speak of, of their doubts about God and then to say that as we just spoke about that they will spend less time with God, but they'll also spend less time in church. Even when it may feel difficult, even when those questions are tumbling around your heads, invest in community. Paul encourages in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 to bear with one another's uh, burdens. And sometimes I think. Versus, oh, that probably just means when people are suffering, I'll go and bring them lasagna. So much more than that. It's being with people. 
spending time with them, not just when things seem to be going well in their life, but <laughs> all the time. And it's not just in the sufferings from where we carry those burdens. Doubt, I think, is a burden. And so we look to carry that and bear that with one another. As I said at the start, don't let embarrassment or shame ever get in the way of you opening up to others in the church about the questions you have. Know that in a church, you are surrounded by people who are as broken as you are. People who don't have it all together, and people who probably have questions as well. I'm a big believer in the priesthood of all believers. But that we all teach one another. That we are all to encourage one another. That we all point one another to Jesus. And in this room, as I look out, I'm privileged to know quite a lot of people's stories of faith. And there are incredible stories of faith. And as we hear those stories of faith, we build up and we encourage each other and we teach one another. Get to know one another so you can be that encouragement, especially in times when things are difficult. Wrestle your questions with one another. Read the Word of God together. Pray with one another. Read other Christian books together. In community, we encourage one another. We build one another up. We learn from each other and we inspire each other and we keep each other faithful. If you're struggling with questions, don't run from this community. Please run to the community and be as vulnerable as you can. You will not be judged at all. That is, Jesus is gentle. We will be gentle as well. Friends, don't sit in doubt. As you sit here this morning, you might feel like Thomas when he says, I will never believe. You might feel like your questions are too big, your doubts are too deep. The answers you're finding in other places you may feel are just too convincing. And my encouragement to you is to let God surprise you. Allow him to do that as you push into confession, to communion with him and to community. And Thomas has said it's recorded as instantly saying to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And what a wonderful declaration that is from someone going from never to all in. If he can do it once, he can do it again. My hope and expectation is that you pour, as you pour into that confession communion community, that one day that you will join with me join with Thomas, you will join with this entire fellowship and say, Jesus is my Lord and my God. Now we don't know a lot definitively about Thomas later in life. He's mentioned in chapter 21 as he goes fishing with Peter. He's mentioned in Acts 1 as the disciples are gathered together to select a new disciple, but after that, scripture is silent on him. But church tradition says that Thomas travels outside of the Roman Empire, possibly went as far as India to proclaim the good news of Jesus. There are, there are suggestions that he died there, possibly from a stab wound to his side. It's interesting that he needed to touch the stab wound from the side, and the suggestion is that is how he died with him. This is a man who said once, I will never believe. And in the end, he gave his life for his Lord Allow God to surprise you, and then allow Him to use you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you know absolutely everything about us. There is nothing that we can hide from you, nothing at all. 
You know our thoughts. You know our struggles. You know our questions. You know our doubts. I thank you, God, as we read that you are gentle with us. You are not condemning. And so we thank you for your gentleness. I thank you for your constant love for us, even though we might have these questions of your love that will never, ever change. So Father, we pray that you would help us. For the questions that we do have, would we just not let those questions just sit there and invest it away? But Father, would we come before you acknowledging who you are, acknowledging our limitations? Would we acknowledge our need of you? Would we push into time with you? Would we ask you our questions? Would we ask others our questions? Father, would you fill us with a desperation to know you? Father, I pray for anyone here that if they have questions, Lord, that one day that they will stand with us and say, my Lord, my God, it's Jesus you deserve absolutely everything for us. You gave it all for us on the cross. So Father, we want to give it all in response to your love for us. Would you help us?